Good morning. How's everyone? Yeah, smile. Oh, now nothing. How is everyone? Good. Anything? You doing okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, welcome to 2021. Uh, 2020 was interesting, to say the least. <laughs> I think interesting, unique maybe is the right word. Who knows? We could use all kinds of words to describe 2020. But it is 2021, and we'll see if it's any better. I mean, time will tell. <laughs> what a way to start a service. Uh, time will tell. No, this year is going to be great. I, just do, I do think it's funny. I don't know why I'm saying this. This is not in my notes or, or, or anything. But Brooke and I, we, we've laughed multiple times throughout the year of 2020, because we had so many, you know, friends and people in ministry that last year, like, cast these huge vision, like, 2020 is going to be amazing, like, this is what's happening, it's like, you were all wrong, that none of that happened in 2020, we all had to change our plans, so I'm not going to do any of that in 2021, I have no idea what's happening, and I'm not going to act like it's going to be a great year, I don't know, what I know is God's going to be with us, that's all I know, that's all I know, Uh, but I do want to welcome everybody joining us online. I know we still have a few uh, that are sick this morning, a few out, still on vacation and all that. I want to say welcome. So glad you're here. You can always chime in, and I, I hope to see your comments uh, on Facebook, those that are joining us as well. I do want to report to you guys some really exciting news, something that I'm super pumped about. That is, uh, as a church family, I mean, as you know, small as we are, as new as we are as a church, in the middle of a pandemic, we gave, as a church family, over $3,000 to Convoy of Hope over the holiday season for the One Day to Feed the World program. So, yeah, you could clap. You could give yourself a hand. You could do that. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I, I was blown away. Uh, whenever I thought about how much we would give as a church, I never thought we would be able to give over $3,000 as a church family. So, thank you so much for your generosity. It, it makes a huge difference in the life of kids all over the world. So, thank you. It was just I was just blown away when I saw that. I looked up. Now, I, it is still live today. If you want to continue to give to One Day to Feed the World, today's the last day. It'll go down uh, later on today, uh, that part of the, the giving uh, online. But I, last night when I looked at the final figures, I was pretty blown away. I did not re- think we would reach the 3,000 mark. So super exciting. You know, speaking of giving, uh, as a church family, we, we usually talk about the three reasons why we give. The first reason why we give is out of obedience to the Lord. Uh, in, in Scripture, he tells us that we're to give and give to his church family. The second reason we give is because we believe in the mission and vision uh, of this place, of Vine Church. And the third reason we give is to be a blessing to others. And we were able to do that over the Christmas holiday, uh, it, even though we didn't have service two weeks. And then we only had, I think we had one December service, two December services maybe? I can't remember. No, pretty much just one December service and then a December small group. Uh, pretty much, and to give over 3,000 is incredible. So you guys are incredible. I'm so glad to be a part of this church family. We're going to be in John chapter one or John chapter 21 today. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. We're going to start a brand new series tomorrow. As you guys know, we usually kind of walk through a book of the Bible. So we're going to start next week walking through 1 John. But today we're just doing a standalone talk out of John chapter 21, and it's called The Cage of comparison. Uh, It's a cage that we often put ourselves in. We can easily get out of. We just simply don't. Before we jump in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your grace. God, I thank you that in the midst of the craziness that is happening in our world, God, in our country, that you are still faithful. No matter what happens, we can always count on you to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
even when we don't know what the future looks like and it's so different than what we thought it was going to look like, you don't change. You're the same. We can always count on you to be constant. Father, I pray that you would just be with us this morning. pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. pray that you would use my words, God, to, to show us something new, uh, to refresh uh, maybe an, an old truth we've already known, but to encourage us in our next right steps with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, as I was preparing this message yesterday, I was reminded of an old story of how they used to train elephants to stay in place. Uh, when the elephants are young, they would tie a rope around the elephant's ankle. Now, the elephant is small, not powerful enough to break that rope, but it tries and it tries and it tries to break the rope. But when it realizes it can't get free, it finally accepts that it is stuck and it must stay in place. So when the elephant grows up, and it's much bigger, much larger, much stronger, could easily break the rope. All they have to do to keep the elephant uh, caged or to stay in place is to tie that same little rope around their ankle because they've accepted that the rope is more powerful than they are. They've accepted the cage. They could easily break out, but they've accepted it. This is just the way it is, and so they stay put. This is the same thing that happens to us all the time. Uh, Our culture, our society, our human nature, our sin nature puts us in different cages that as believers we can easily break out of, but we just accept them. This is just the way it is. This is what life looks like. So this morning we're going to talk about how do we escape the cage of comparison. Because constantly comparing ourselves to others puts us in a cage of pride of resentment, of insecurity that we could easily break out of, but we don't because we've accepted this is the way the world works. This is the way society works. This is the way culture works. We often find ourselves in this cage, just like one of the babies that's screaming, like, get me out of this cage. I'm in, uh, I'm in this room. Uh, those online, we had a baby screaming in the, or I don't, I don't know if they were crying, screaming out of joy. You never really know when it's someone else's kid. When, your own, when it's your own kid, you think like, Oh, you know their cries. And someone else is like, oh, they could have been excited, but I doubt it. Uh, but here are some things that we often compare. And we do it all the time. I mean, we all do it. Comparing ourselves to others is one of the most common, like, universal traits of humanity. Things we compare. We often compare our possessions, our cars, our houses, our clothes, our salary. I mean, how many times have you heard things just like this? You know, I know I just got a raise, but I still can't afford the house that my brother lives in. Like sibling comparison, right? Not to mention coworker comparison. We compare possessions all the time. Appearance. We compare our hair, our body shape, our eyes, our biceps or lack thereof, our height or our lack thereof. I just wish I was as tall as Chase. Then I'd be perfect in every way. Right? Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Performance. We compare performance. I mean, at work, it's, it's a natural part of work. It's, it, we compare our performance with one another. At, at home, we compare our performance. You know, how many arguments have we gotten in with our own spouse comparing who does more around the house? No? Just me and Brooke? No? You guys? Right? We do this. We, we compare our performance and, and what we're doing. You know, our kids, they do this constantly. They're always comparing uh, their performance with one another. And we have a couple one-uppers in the family. There's a couple of our kids that it doesn't matter how well another child has done. They did it one-up. You know, they one-upped it. They, they just did it one thing a little bit better. And Griffin, uh, uh, 
I mean, you guys know our five-year-old. Uh, he does this all the time, and it's hilarious because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, just a few months ago, we were talking, and we came home from Ethan's game, and Ethan was like, we won, and we're like, yeah, we won, and Griffin's like, my team won too. We're like, you didn't play a game. You're not on a team. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, it makes no sense, but it's like he always just has to, has to one-up. Like, he, if someone else is, he got, he's got to one-up him anything, and he's got to make sure he's better. But he does this thing now because we've told him over and over again that he's not supposed to, and it's the cutest thing. Like, he one-ups a sibling, and then he confesses that it's not real. But he's like, yeah, my team won too. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> it's like, no, you didn't. But it's like, you can't stop the first sentence from coming out, but then he realizes, oh, that was bad. And, no, he didn't. That's not true. It's like, no, it's not. But we do this. We compare our performance. We compare our circumstances. Kids, no kids, married, single. Do we have a good family? Do we have a bad family? You know, we, we, we do this. I mean, whenever we have something bad happen to us. Maybe you've lost a job and you thought, well, I lost my job, but I'm not like Bartholomew. I mean, he lost his job. His wife left him and now they're losing the house. I don't know a Bartholomew, so that's why I chose that name uh, as that example. But it's another great name. You know, Mephibosheth, Bartholomew, uh, Methuselah, great names. You should name your kids those things. Uh, In John 21, what's taking place, uh, some backstory here. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He's visited his disciples a couple different times. And in John 21, he, he shows up on the scene and he has this conversation with Peter. And in the midst of this conversation with Peter, there's this restoration that takes place with Peter because Peter had denied Jesus. But then Peter, immediately after Jesus prophesies about his future, he does something so natural that we all do. He compares his future, he compares his purpose, he compares his circumstance with another disciple. And Jesus says, don't do that. There's no point in, in that. It only brings harm. You know, the disciples were out, well, Peter and a few of the disciples were out fishing, and they hadn't caught anything all day. Jesus is on the shore, and he calls out and says, have you caught anything? They said, no. Jesus says, throw your net on the right side of the boat. So they throw their net on the right side of the boat. They catch all this fish. They realize it's Jesus on the shore. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to shore, and then Jesus asks him these three questions, and this is the, the restoration process that takes place. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And he says, well, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you, or, uh, that I love you. <laughs> and then Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. I ask him again, Peter, do, do you love me? And, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He says, okay, then, then feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know. You know all things. You know whether I love you or not. And it even says Peter was saddened in his heart that Jesus asked him a third time. And then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And then we enter the story right after that third time in verse 18, and Jesus prophesies about Peter's future. He says, I tell you the truth. Able to do as you liked, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Verse 20. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved. Now we know in the context of the story, this is the disciple John who's writing this gospel story. All right, the one that Jesus loved is John. The one had, that, who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him? What about him? Jesus just goes through this restoration process with Peter and says, hey, you're gonna, your death is going to glorify me. Your life's going to glorify me. And he's like, but, but, but what about him? Jesus says, 
if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die, but that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So Peter hears this, he, he goes through this restoration process with Jesus. Uh, he, he's brought back into this intimate relationship. Jesus prophesies about his future, and his first inclination is to say, but what about the other guy who's following you? What about him? And Jesus says, don't do that. What is it to you? What does it matter what his purpose is? What does it matter what his future is? You just focus on what your future is. See, comparison is a cage that we put ourselves in that only brings harm. So a few things that happen when we compare ourselves. Comparison is the death of contentment. The first part of this cage is when we, get, when we get caught in this cage of comparing our circumstances, our possessions, our purpose, our future, our appearance uh, with other people, it kills whatever contentment we might be experiencing. Anytime we compare ourselves, it breeds greed and discontentment. I mean, how many of your kids, you don't have to raise your hand, especially for kids in the room, how many of your kids were like mine over the Christmas break? They opened a present, loved the present, then their sibling opened a present and no longer loved their present. Right? They were perfectly happy, perfectly content with that present. They were super excited. Then they realized another child opened something else and they thought, well, that looks really cool too. Why didn't you get me that? Like, you were happy two seconds ago. Two seconds ago, you were happy. Or I don't know about, I mean, our kids, they immediately ran and started counting all the presents. And for two days straight, one of our kids was livid that another child had more presents under the tree than they did. And we explained to that child over and over again, you have the exact same amount of presents. They just haven't been wrapped yet. The second day he woke up furious that we had not wrapped the presents. And I'm like, bro, it doesn't matter. Like, you're not going to open these till Christmas as a family. So if we don't wrap them until right before you open them, you're getting the same amount. We do, anytime we compare it, it, it kills the contentment that we have. We do this all the time. I mean, it's funny to talk about our kids, but we do it too. We're perfectly content with our house until we go to someone else's house and it's bigger and better. It's painted nicer. They have nicer things. And then we compare it. We're no longer content with what we have. You know, I, I personally have had to fight the grass is greener syndrome like my whole life. The grass is always greener on the other side. And then you get over there and you realize, well, it wasn't really that much greener. Oh, but that one over there must be greener. And so we constantly chase. I mean, I, I, for real, had to, chase, had, to, had to battle this a lot in my own life. Like just saying, what we have right here, right now, is good. Even over the Christmas break, Brooke and I were just praying through stuff. And we had a wonderful time. And uh, we feel like, or at least I feel like, I can't speak for Brooke, but I feel like so much of my life, I've been chasing what's next instead of enjoying what I currently have. So I even wrote down in my journal, I said, I don't know, this wasn't in my notes, I'm just, this might not apply, but I wrote down, I was like, I've arrived. It's like, because I feel like for so long, I never felt like I arrived. No matter what we have, it's like, well, we've arrived. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to continue to move forward and we're just going to be complacent, but this sense of like, I don't know, Realize that you've arrived where you're supposed to be. This is where we're supposed to be. This is the time we're supposed to be. This is where we're, we're, in, we're doing what God wants us to do. Like we've arrived, so stop trying to get to somewhere else and be where you are. Be present. Anytime we compare, 
it kills the contentment that we have. 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes this way. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Especially in American culture, Western context, when it comes to wealth, we're always trying to accumulate more and more wealth. Whatever we have, it's not enough. I mean, there was this report, uh, I think it was in Forbes magazine a number of years ago, they interviewed all these multi-multi-millionaires, and they asked them, how much is enough? You got $500 million. You, you have more money than you could spend. How much is enough? And not a single one of them can give an actual number. Collectively, the, the, the sentiment was, I don't know how much is enough, but I know it's a little bit more than I have now. Where Paul says, what is great wealth? Being content. Having contentment in our life, true godliness, following Jesus, and being content is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us whenever we leave it. Second thing, comparison also can make us prideful. Whenever we compare our situation, our circumstances, our possessions to someone else, and we have more, we become prideful. C.S. Lewis says it this way. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Comparison makes us prideful. When we compare ourselves to others and we have more, we become prideful. Here's the thing about sinful pride. Sinful pride only exists as a result of comparison. Remove comparison and sinful pride is also removed. If we have sinful pride in our life and we know that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, if we struggle with pride, remove comparison and pride goes with it. Because pride only exists whenever we're comparing ourselves to someone else. The next thing is not only comparison make us, can make us prideful, it can also make us resentful. When we compare ourselves to others and we have less, we become resentful. We can resent the blessings that God has given to us in our lives whenever we compare our situation to someone else and they have more. And we see this in the story of King Saul and David in 1 Samuel. King Saul is the king. He has all the power. He's got all the money. He's got, all, he's got everything. He's the king. I mean, he's, he's the, no one can tell him what to do. He tells everyone what to do. People serve his needs. He's the king. Yet he becomes bitter and jealous and resentful towards David because a comparison was made. First Samuel 18, they were singing in the streets. This was the song of the young ladies that were singing. Saul's killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. Saul's got all the power. He's got everything he could ever want in life. He's got all the money, all the riches. As soon as there's a comparison, that's when resentment comes in. That's when his demise really begins in this war between him and David. Because there was a comparison, and that comparison made him resentful. You know, I have a friend uh, who's also in ministry, and there was a point in time where things were going really well for him, and he had gotten a big promotion, a big raise, and honestly, I became resentful. And how I knew this is I began to pray prayers. Like, God, why did you do this for him, yet I'm still here? Why did you do that for him? It wasn't in Alabama. I was in a different context. But it's, uh, God, what, you did this for him. I'm not excited for him. I'm not pumped for him. He's one of my best friends, and I've become resentful. Why? Because I'm comparing my situation to his. And it was through that time in my life that God led me to John chapter 21. And this talk, a lot of this came out of that, where God had this very frank conversation with me on a personal level. That's, I have my own assignment, and it's different than his assignment. It's different than my friend's assignment. 
And if I was trying to be in my friend's assignment, it would not be going well. If he was trying to do what I was called to do, it wouldn't go well for him either. Whenever we compare ourselves to others, we become prideful or we become resentful. Let's jump back to John 21. So how do we stop? How do we stop? How do we escape the cage of comparison? How do we stop comparing ourselves to others? Well, Jesus gives us the answer right here. Verse 21, Peter asks Jesus, what about him? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return... What is that to you? What does that matter to you? What does it matter to you? What his role is, what his assignment, what his future, what does that matter? As for you, follow me. So how do we escape the cage of comparison? Number one, focus on your assignment, not someone else's assignment. Focus on your assignment, not someone else's assignment. It's only when we focus on our assignment that we can have satisfaction for a job well done. Being a pastor in ministry, uh, I know some of you have been here before, you've been in ministry, you understand this, but it's a little bit different than, you know, like being in sales. Being in sales is pretty easy to quantify. Like if you made a sale, (laughs) there you go, good job. If you didn't, you hadn't made one yet. In ministry, sometimes it's hard to quantify like what success really looks like, and all this, and so like human nature is we create ways to measure success, and then we compare ourselves with one another, and like church size and church income are two things we've created to measure success, which aren't necessarily biblical. We just decided that's how we wanted to measure success. And for a long time, whenever I'm doing ministry, and I'd have to simply ask, like, how do I feel about the job that I'm currently doing in my assignment? And if I'm looking at someone else's assignment, someone else's uh, job, someone else's purpose from the Lord, I don't have a satisfaction with a job well done. Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. You won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. It was only when I began to take this verse to heart, to pay careful attention to what I, my assignment, my own work, and then I can honestly say, have I been doing the best that I possibly could in my assignment? And I can say, yes, I've been doing as, the best I can. I've been working hard and diligent and been obedient. Then I can have satisfaction of a job well done. But I'll never find satisfaction. You'll never find satisfaction of a job well done as long as you're comparing yourself to others. When we find a satisfaction of a job well done, we can rest in that and we don't have to compare ourselves to others. See, comparison is a cage. We get in this cage, we don't know how to escape, and so we constantly compare ourselves. So the only thing we can do is either become inwardly you know, insecure, resentful, kind of have a victim mentality that nothing good happens for us, or we become prideful or overly selfishly ambitious. That I'm going to get more and more and more and more and more so that I can prove my status and prove my worth and do all this. And that's not, Paul says, none of that's going to work. None of that's going to bring satisfaction. None of that's going to bring contentment. None of that's going to bring, there's not some place we arrive that, oh, now I have this much money and this many cars and this many kids and this, this is, and now I've arrived. If we haven't learned the lessons of contentment, we'll never have enough to be content. We'll never have enough. But if we pay careful attention to our own work, we get satisfaction with a job well done. So how do we escape the cage? We focus on our own assignment. 
So my question to you is, what is your current assignment? What's your current assignment? Not your future assignment. What's your current assignment? I think sometimes we can even compare our, our future assignment with our current and become resentful. We can become uh, insecure, prideful. What is your current assignment? Right now, your current assignment might be to simply be a great husband or a great wife. That might be your current assignment. Your current assignment might be to be a wonderful mother or a wonderful father. Your current assignment might be to be a great sibling, a great son, a great daughter. Your current assignment might be to be a great teacher, right? Like, what's your current assignment? What is it right now that you're supposed to be doing? And pay careful attention to your own work. I think sometimes we get so focused on our future assignments that we're not paying careful attention to our current assignment. I found that that in my life for sure. My current assignment is it's multifaceted. It's to, I mean, plant this church, start this, pastor and love on you guys. But more importantly than that, my current assignment is to be a lover of Jesus. Secondly, more important than church, more important than all this, my current assignment is to be a great husband. My current assignment is to be a great father. I got to pay careful attention to those things because that's what I'm supposed to do right now. Our kids are only going to be the age they are for this moment. They're only going to get bigger. If I uh, try to build something for my future 20 years down the road and forsake my current assignment, time's going to pass my kids by and I haven't been the father to them that I am supposed to be because I'm building on some future assignment instead of focusing, paying careful attention to my current assignment. What is your current assignment? Escaping the cage of comparison takes focusing on our own assignment and not someone else's. Not what someone else is called to do. Number two. How do we escape the cage of comparison? We have to know who we are. You got to know who you are. You got to know what your current assignment is. You got to know that you are loved, cared for. You are called by God. You're a child of God. He has a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's great. And it's not the plan he has for someone else's life. It's specific and it's unique to you, and it's a great plan. We have to be self-aware. Paul writes in the New Testament, don't think of yourselves as more highly than you ought to. Uh, over the Christmas break, I was studying the story of Elisha in the Old Testament. And Elisha, it's, it's an incredible story. I mean, he had a double portion from Elijah. did all these amazing miracles. And I'll be honest, in past seasons of my life, I would read the story of Elisha. And as I would read the story of Elisha, I would become, probably the good way to put it is I'd become inspired but maybe another way to put it is I'd become ambitious and begin to pray like, God, I want to do miracles like Elisha did. Like, I, and I start praying, like, I want to do that, you know? And over this break, as I'm studying the story of Elisha, I was really hit by a couple things. And the first thing that I was hit by is, I am not Elisha. I'm not Elisha. I'm not called to do what Elisha was called to do. Elisha had this intimacy with God, you know, that I can have an intimacy with God. But the miracles that he performed, I mean, don't really matter. Like half of them, you know, like the, the, if you read them, like they're Old Testament agricultural context. Like they're not going to matter here. But the point is like I'm reading the story and in past times I would become almost like spiritually uh, 
selfishly ambitious or maybe even spiritually insecure, but really I would feel this almost this, I don't know if I want to say spiritual, like religious burden to do more than I'm supposed to be doing. This like burden of, like, well, Elisha did that, so I could do that because the same spirit that, lived, that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So I'm praying, you know, like, I'm not Elisha. That's not what I'm called to do. That's not my assignment. So I have to know who I am. You know, uh, there's different layers to that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, praying for God to do more, and God does do the supernatural in our lives. But the point for me was when I recognized I'm not Elisha, not supposed to be Elisha. There was a pressure that was lifted off my shoulders. I felt this pressure lift. Like, I'm, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I can rest in that. I can rest in knowing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I, I need to know who I am, who I'm called to be, what my current assignment is, so that I don't have to compare it to someone else. I think oftentimes we're in the cage of comparison because we don't know who we are. We haven't spent time with Jesus and allowed him to be the one to define who we are. We've allowed other people, sometimes parents or siblings or coworkers or society or whatever, we've allowed them to define who we are instead of Jesus so we don't even know who we are. How do we escape the cage of comparison? We get with Jesus, we read scripture, we believe the truth of scripture that We are his, created unique for a unique purpose. And that's okay. That's good. It's okay that I'm not Elisha, right? Because I'd be dead and I wouldn't know you. You are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. That word in the NLT that uses masterpiece. I mean, I think NIV says workmanship. But this word in the original Greek is the same word that we would use for masterpiece, which is the ultimate creation of a creator. He's created all the world, all the trees and the mountains, and all these beautiful things. But he says, humanity, you are his greatest creation. Or his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. He's created you brand new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. To escape the cage of comparison, we have to get with Jesus and know who we are, who you are. And that starts with knowing that you are God's masterpiece, created by God, created anew. When you decide to follow Jesus, you've been born again. His spirit's been placed inside of you. And you were created to do good things that he planned for you to do, not for someone else to do. He has good things that he's planned for you to do. we got to know who you are, your identity be rooted in him. I love what George MacDonald says. He says, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all things. Did Bama just... Yeah, my dog's here, by the way, in the back. Uh, He was saying hello. Uh, Yeah. I heard him, like, whine earlier, and I was like, I don't know if you guys could hear that. The bark was pretty clear. But... uh, George MacDonald 
He says, the grandest thing that I could think of, I'd rather just be the, the thing that God thought, wanted me and desired for me to be. Because God thought about me. He thought about you. You were born in God's thought before you were born on this earth. You were made by God. That's the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all of thinking. Number three, how do we escape the cage of comparison? We follow Jesus. He told Peter, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. Follow me. When our eyes are firmly fixed on Jesus, they don't waver from side to side. They don't look at others' assignment. They don't compare themselves. They say, I'm following Jesus. And since I'm following Jesus, I can be uh, confident that I'm doing what I am assigned to do. And I can have a satisfaction of a job well done. And I can experience a contentment, a peace, and a joy that's only available to us who are following Jesus. How do we escape the cage of comparison? We take our eyes off other uh, factors. We take our eyes off other people's stuff, other people's performance, and we just put our eyes on Jesus. We just follow Jesus. We don't follow societal trends. We don't follow the latest Christian cultural trend. We just follow Jesus. We don't follow a certain political party. We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. We don't follow culture. We just follow Jesus. As you read earlier, we didn't bring anything into this world when we came. We'll take nothing out of it. There's only one thing we can take with us to heaven, and that's other people, other souls. Be a great husband. Be a great wife. Be a great father. Be a great mother. Be a great son. Be a great daughter. Be a great brother or sister. Be a great neighbor. Follow Jesus. Focus on your assignment, not someone else's. Know who you are and fix your eyes on Jesus. If we can escape the cage of comparison, we will find contentment. We will find abundant life. We will find rest. We will find God doing more in us, through us, and around us than we could ever imagine, than we could have ever thought of we escape the cage of comparison. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that you care so deeply for every single one of us. We thank you that you didn't create carbon copies, that you didn't create robots, God, but you created humanity. You created us each unique, that you love us, you care for us, you deeply desire for us (laughs) to have contentment, to have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. God, we pray that as we start into 2021, 2021, we leave 2020, we start into 2021, (laughs) yep, we start into 2021, God, this new year, I pray that every single one of us would escape the cage of comparison, we begin to take a hard look at ourselves, and at you. And rediscover what it looks like to follow you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you have your connection cards, it's on your table uh, in here. Or if you're online, it's at vinetrustful.com. On the back side of that connection card, it says, my next right step this week, I will. What is your next right step in escaping the cage of comparison What is your next right step 
for 2021. What is your next right step? We write it in for two reasons. One, when you do it, you're giving action, st- uh, action statement. You're giving legs to what God spoke to your heart. But then also the prayer team here, we pray for you, specifically pray for your journey. What's your next right step? We want to know about it. We want to be praying for you this year. Also, if you have any prayer requests, we want to know about those. We want to pray for you. We know what's going on in your life. Uh, I'm so excited you were all here this morning. I'm excited. I am excited for 2021. I'm pumped because it's going to be a new year filled with something. Hopefully wonderful things. No, it'll be great. It's going to be good. Fill out those connection cards, and then you can go grab your kids and uh, come back in here. We'll have worship online. We'll see you next week. Love you.